today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the budget drops. Will that remove the SNC-Lavalin, Jody Wilson, Raybould scandal from the front pages? Don't think so. Or how about Privy Council Clerk Michael Wernick stepping down, retiring early? Will that take our attention away from the SNC-Lavalin scandal? It's all coming up on today's show. The committee meeting to study the SNC-Lavalin affair is, uh, well... Met today, and then it sort of wrapped up. Uh, Basically, they decided that they were not going to call Jody Wilson-Raybould back to testify. Uh, They've said that they've uh, went through enough witnesses and such that uh, the public has a pretty good idea of what's happened and that they uh, don't need to hear from Jody Wilson-Raybould twice, despite hearing from Michael Wernick, the clerk of the Privy Council, twice. Uh, So they basically closed up shop saying that uh, nothing else to see here, that they're going to move on to other things. And, of course, opposition members are uh, are furious about all of this as it comes down on Budget Day, uh, which, of course, will be revealed at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Let's bring in Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa. He is with us now. Duff, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. What is your take on how this has all come down, uh, especially in the last, say, 72 hours? Uh, the clerk of the Privy Council resigning, uh, or stepping down, rather, taking an early retirement, um, the, the, uh, meetings being pushed off with uh, the Justice Committee back to the day that the budget all, you know, obviously is dropping, and then the budget it, itself uh, being revealed later on today at 4 o'clock. How, uh, what are your thoughts on how uh, the Liberal Party has handled all this? Not very well, and the Watch, uh predicted that it would be a kangaroo court at the Justice Committee. Kangaroo court being a place where politicians are making judgments, and they make judgments based on their party politics as opposed to the facts and the rules. And that's what's happened. The Justice Committee, with a majority of Liberal MPs, has decided to, uh, that majority, to shut down the hearings when they haven't heard from Prime Minister Trudeau and seven other people that were named by the former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould. And to shut down looking into this SNC-Lavalin scandal without hearing from those eight people means you don't want to know the truth. Uh, the Justice Committee saying that uh, they've already gone through uh, layers and layers of all of this and there is enough information there, uh, nothing new here, and uh, enough information there in order for the public to make up its mind and that they've come to the conclusion that there was uh, nothing, no wrongdoings uh, in this situation. Um, is the public going to let this go? Is the budget going to distract from this, or even uh, the retiring of the clerk of the Privy Council? I don't think so, because of all the unanswered questions. And I also expect that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould will now speak. What do you think she will do now? How do you think she'll react to this information that this has been shut down? Well, um, I think she will come out and uh, disclose many more documents than she has before. She, she referred to emails and texts during uh, her appearance before the Justice Committee, but she hasn't produced them. Um, Michael Wernick produced some documents, including one showing that former clerk of the Privy Council and his former boss 
called him on behalf of SNC-Lavalin, and Democracy Watch has filed a complaint about that with the lobbying commissioner because it seems like uh, that Kevin Lynch should have registered that lobbying in the lobbyist registry, and he didn't. And uh, so I expect many more documents from her and also uh, countering the points made by uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's former uh, uh, chief secretary, Gerald Butts, and also Michael Wernick. What do you think she is thinking today? What do you think she is doing today? When do you think this would happen? Well, I don't think she'll do it today because of the budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the decision has just been made by the committee today. Um, and there's pressure on the committee. And the opposition parties are saying that they're going to uh, use parliamentary pre- procedures to hold up the budget. <clears throat> and um, What will that do? Well, just continue to put a spotlight on it. And right. the committee could call her at any time. So I think she'll likely wait for that uh, process to play out and see whether the committee does reconsider its decision. I thought that that, I thought that, I thought, yeah, I thought that that's already been decided, that she, they've decided that that's the reports that we're getting, that she's not going to go back, that they're moving on to other things and there's nothing to see here. No, that's true. But a committee can, can always decide to suddenly hold hearings and the liberals have the majority, so they control the agenda of that committee. So, so can you see Jody Wilson-Raybould speaking out in some way and then all of a sudden I'm saying, okay, we're going to call her back? No, I think, I think she'll wait some time to see whether they reconsider and see what the opposition parties do to put on right. pressure. They're, you know, they can filibuster on the budget debate. Mm-hmm. They can filibuster other. Can you see the Liberals changing their, or the Justice Committee changing their mind, though, if they've, gone, that they've dug their hill heels in this much? Um, possibly, because her just speaking freely and the media asking her questions means there's no counterpoint, right, to that news conference. The media yeah. are likely not going to ask her tough questions, which the Liberal MPs were asking her during her first testimony. And there is one tough But aren't question. they then, aren't they then, Duff, just pushing the narrative into her hands? I mean... Exactly. That's why you bring, it, bring her back to the committee. Yeah. And the Liberals get to ask more questions than anyone else at that committee because they have the majority again. I just can't believe that the Liberals are just trying to keep this quiet, hoping it all goes away without having a real plan, because eventually she is going to tell the story. As the old saying goes, the cover-up is worse than the initial crime. Yeah. It is a cover-up. There are seven people that she named, plus the Prime Minister, who have not responded publicly to her uh, allegations about what they did. Well, <clears throat> so they're just accepting that what she said was true? No, I doubt it. So there's the unanswered question, what is their story? What emails or texts or other written records do they have of communications with her or her staff when she was Attorney General What um, that, that, that would counter what she claimed happened? And, and they seem to be relying on the Ethics Commissioner uh, and that investigation. Right. And the Ethics Commissioner does have the power to subpoena uh, documents, and subpoena witnesses and ask them questions, has full powers of an inquiry or a court uh, to do those things. Um, the problem is the ethics commissioner was handpicked by the Trudeau cabinet through a very secretive, questionable process where they actually misled opposition parties. The Trudeau liberals in the spring of 2017 claimed, we can't find anybody who's qualified to be ethics commissioner. And Mark Watch did some digging and found <laughs> out that actually they did have at least some qualified candidates, and they rejected them all and then 
came up with this guy, Mario Dion, uh, who had a horrible record as integrity commissioner, and now he's ethics commissioner, handpicked by the Trudeau cabinet. There's a lot of questions about whether he's the guy to be looking into this and, and whether he's tainted with bias because they handpicked him. Duff, what do you think uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's end game is here? And if it's the truth, I, you know, if she says, I just want the truth to come out, how does she balance that knowing that what she says could cripple them in the next election? How do you balance this? And because obviously she's committed to being a liberal and committed to the people of her riding, yet she holds this position with the prime minister's office. Well, I think that balance is gone now. Um, she... All she would be coming out and saying now is, here are my written records proving that what I said was true as far as I can prove it. And Gerald Butts says it was just a misunderstanding, and I'm telling you, no, there was pressure on me. And it was not me misunderstanding. It was people pressuring me, and here's all the evidence that I have. Uh, And then possibly also speaking about conversations that went in to January after she was switched to Veteran Affairs from being Attorney General, which uh, she said she couldn't talk about. But Gerald Butts, under the same uh, provision made by the Cabinet, went ahead and spoke about that time period, right up to when she left Cabinet. And so if he can talk about it, and the Prime Minister's talked about it as well, then why can't she uh, go ahead and talk about it? And so um, that is not really going to change the dynamic much at all from, you know, the polls show that most people believe her and don't believe the Prime Minister and, and Gerald Butts. And she's answering questions and giving specifics, and they're saying nothing wrong happened, everyone acted with integrity, and not giving those specifics. So uh, they're the one leaving leaving questions hanging, and so her coming out I don't think is it's not going to damage them more. It's uh, That damage has been done. Mm. And she was a prosecutor in the past. A lot of people don't know that. And it's very important to her prosecutorial independence. So I think she just stood on this principle and said, I'm still allowed to be a liberal MP. I'm also allowed to talk about wrongdoing, even within my own party. What's, why should that be illegal? With the Justice Committee now saying that they're finished with this, will what will the new Attorney General do, uh, David Lamenti? Will he now do what Justin Trudeau wants him to do and what Jody Wilson-Raybould refused to do? I don't think they can now before the election. Um, the prosecution will go ahead. SNC-Lavalin challenged it and said that the court's should be able to overturn this decision to prosecute them, and it was an unreasonable decision. And, and a federal court judge threw that case out, saying it has no chance of success because prosecutors have full discretion to prosecute, and that's the, the law in Canada. So what will happen after the election? I, I, the prosecution is going to proceed, but it can be stopped at any time. Yeah. And it's, you know, prosecutions take a while to proceed, uh, just in terms of the backlog in the courts. Mm-hmm. So... Even getting this thing scheduled, it could easily um, have, uh, uh, he could direct the Public Prosecution Service to file a couple of motions that would delay things. Right. So is he just trying to delay it till it's out of the public eye and then give them what they want? 
Yeah, and and the other thing they can do, which they've already started, is a consultation process on reducing the penalty, right? SNC-Lavalin is worried about Mm -hmm. the penalty of being barred for 10 years from federal uh, government contracts and bidding on those contracts. And so they reduce the penalty, say, well, if a company cleans up on the inside, gets rid of all the people that did wrong, uh, cooperates with prosecutors, changes their ethics system internally, uh, agrees to be monitored by someone approved by the prosecutor, which the SNC-Lavalin has done all of those things, then the penalty is reduced down to two years. You know, and for two years, that would not be a huge penalty to SNC-Lavalin to not be able to bid on contracts for two years. In fact, if the Liberals were back in power, they could just not offer any big contracts that SNC-Lavalin would bid on during right. those two years, and it mm-hmm. would end up being no penalty at all. <laughs> so I expect, I expect both of those things to happen if the Liberals win again, but after the election. Uh, the uh, clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, uh, steps down yesterday, retires early, saying that he uh, doesn't have the confidence of the opposition parties. What does this all say? Does that is that admitting he was biased in his testimony? Uh, I don't. He's not admitting that, but many commentators across the political spectrum said this kind of statement was unprecedented. His defending of cabinet ministers saying that every single person in the Prime Minister's office, the Cabinet, and the Privy Council office has always acted with integrity and upheld the highest ethical standards. Um, It was just over the top. And so as a result, you know, across the board, um, newspapers and other commentators were all saying, this is a partisan performance. Yeah. You know, he is, and everyone... Well, says, how do you lose the confidence of the opposition unless you're biased? Exactly. But he, he hasn't admitted that blatantly. Right. Yes, by the action and... Well, he's admitted there, he admits that he admits they don't have this trust, or there, there, there's no, no trust but, there, but he know, doesn't admit why, I guess. Opposite, yeah, exactly. And, you know, you could always say that's not justified. Yeah. But it is justified in this case, and everyone should realize... He was a de- he's a deputy minister. That's what the clerk of the Privy Council office is. It's an obscure title, but he's the deputy minister to the prime minister. Deputy ministers are chosen by cabinet. The positions are partisan. You're appointed by a partisan cabinet, and you serve at their pleasure. You can be fired at any time for any reason. You don't have any guarantee that if you stood up to a cabinet on an important issue, that the cabinet wouldn't just replace you or shuffle you somewhere else in the public service. So that's the position deputy ministers are in. And yes, he served uh, the conservative prime minister. He was in the Privy Council office. He was a deputy minister when Harper was prime minister. But that doesn't make him nonpartisan. He was partisan for the conservatives then. Mm. It's a partisan position. And it's a great flaw in our structure of our government. Mm. We, we rely on a neutral public service to give honest, impartial advice and to out ministers if ministers try to break the law or any rules. But at the very top of that public service are deputy ministers. And to get to the very top, you have to please the cabinet, because your job is to protect the cabinet and serve their interests and serve at their pleasure when you're at that position. And if you don't, they can shuffle you out. And all deputy ministers know this, because the Harper Conservatives moved a lot of deputy ministers around whenever they defied the minister during the 10 years they were in power. So it's a partisan position. The people in the positions may not be partisan themselves, but when they're in the position for any government, 
they are serving as a partisan. They are serving a government that is partisan. I'm amazed that they let him testify, considering how aggressive his testimony was. Yeah, and Gerald Butts, I think, learned from that testimony that that's not what you do. You go in there and you be. But then he did polite. it. Tw- but then he did it twice. He did it twice, amazingly. And 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 so you have to, the question. I, what's running through my mind is if this is the way he reacts when he's you know, uh, testifying before a committee in public, uh, in camera, as opposed to in a closed-door meeting with Jody Wilson-Raybould. I mean, my goodness, if he's like this in front of a camera, what's he going to be like behind closed doors? Exactly, and you saw a lot of disdain, which is there at the top levels of the of the public service, people who've been around for decades. I don't think a that, I don't think his... Politicians. Yeah, I don't think his testimony did them any favors at all. Not at all, plus disclosing that Kevin Lynch, his former boss, had called him up and yeah. he took the call yeah. and and also met with SNC-Lavalin executives and, and gave them suggestions as to how they could further their case. Um, that's not serving uh, the government. That's serving How come that information came out just now or recently? Or how old is that information? That came out from his testimony and letters yeah. he disclosed to the committee. Which is bizarre, don't you think? Uh, no, because that's how the government works. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that that's how yeah, it works. Yeah. If you have this power and history with a party and supporters and you employ a lot of people, that you can call them up. And uh, that's why we filed this complaint, because we think Kevin Lynch is required by the law to have registered that lobbying and disclosed it instead of having to come out through a, a, a committee hearing. It should be in the registry. You should be able to find out that he called the clerk of the Privy Council uh, in October. What does it say that uh, uh, the Prime Minister and those close to him are starting to lawyer up? Well, the Ethics Commissioner uh, has full powers of inquiry, again, to subpoena witnesses and evidence. And uh, also, the RCMP has received a letter from Andrew Scheer, the Conservative Party leader. And lots of other lawyers, criminal lawyers, have commented and said this could easily cross the line into obstruction of justice. And so the RCMP will, should be looking into it. If they're not, it will be outrageous. They should be looking into it as much as they looked into the Nigel Wright, Mike Duffy hmm. situation. And if they don't prosecute anyone, they should provide a public explanation as to why they're not prosecuting. So that's why they need lawyers. They need lawyers advising them as to uh, what they should say and should not say in terms of where the line is on obstruction of justice. Duff Conagher has been with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa. The committee studying the SNC-Lavalin affair and Jody Wilson-Raybould have decided not to let her testify and are moving on to other issues. Duff, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Privy Council Clerk Michael uh, Wernick uh, is resigning. He says that he's lost the confidence, the trust of the members of the opposition, yet he's not biased, and he's not, st- and he's not stepping down because he's done anything wrong, just like Gerald Butts. No wrong here, but we're leaving anyway, which is very bizarre. And I, I thought the uh, Clerk of the Privy Council's both his testimonies were incredibly uh, biased towards the prime minister, so much so that the prime minister even uh, uh, promoted what the clerk had said, what Michael Wernick had said afterwards, um, doubling down on it, agreeing with, with what he had said. And, you know, the question I also thought, you know, this man was so aggressive, almost arrogant when he was testifying. And this is 
in front of a committee, in front of the public, with the cameras rolling. Imagine what he would be like behind closed doors chatting with Jody Wilson-Raybould. Now, none of us were at that meeting, but if he's this aggressive in public, what's he like behind closed doors? So I can't see how them putting him up there did any favors to anybody uh, other than perhaps the opposition. And now he's he's gone. Another one's gone. Uh, let's bring in Michael Tope, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times. He's with us now. Michael, thanks for your time, as always. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. So budget rolling out a little later on today, maybe a little later than uh, usual if the conservatives yeah. get their way. Uh, also, the the Justice Committee, looking into the SNC Jody w- uh, Wilson-Raybould thing, has decided to close up shop. That's it. We're going to move on to other things. Nothing more to see here. The public has everything that they need. Yep. Uh, and then prior to that, of course, the clerk of the Privy Council resigning. What is your take on on why do they keep shooting themselves in the foot this way? Well, because unfortunately, they're not very strategic. Uh, the brightest person that they had in their organization, or their most capable person, was the first one to go, who was Jerry Butts. Uh, Butts was obviously the closest political advisor and most trusted ally to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and also a longtime friend. They've been friends since university. So it was quite clear that Mr. Trudeau, plus many of the senior staffers he worked with, trusted Mr. Butts to run uh, strategic communications for them. doesn't mean that everything they did was right. Quite a lot of it was wrong, actually. But Jerry Butts obviously has a good mind in terms of running politics for a progressive agenda for a liberal government like the one his friend Justin Trudeau was running. Once he's out of the picture, it doesn't mean there aren't other bright, talented people around Mr. Trudeau, but they just don't seem to have a mind for politics, or at least for keeping a certain narrative or moving a few steps ahead of the media when they're going to come ask some questions or basically try to sort of figure out what they're doing in a certain spot. You know, if that had been the case, and I know that obviously Michael Wernick, just to use the privy clerk as an example, Michael Wernick was obviously still in the position when, say, Jerry Butts was still principal secretary to Prime Minister Trudeau, and when Butts was still around in Ottawa, so to speak, or at least within the Prime Minister's office before he stepped back, although there are rumors that he's still around with the Liberal Party in some way, shape, or form, and will play a role during the federal election, which is neither here nor there. But it obviously, it would have been easier for someone like a Butts to be able to contain a problem like Michael Wernick, and I think you emphasized it quite well in your opening, Michael Wernick acted in a manner that is irresponsible for the position that he held, which was privy clerk. He is not supposed to be political. He is not supposed to take sides. He is not supposed to side with any particular government, no matter what his personal point of view may be or his political points of view may be. So I think a lot of it just simply has to do with the fact they keep shooting themselves in the foot because they, they have a lot of people who unfortunately have loaded guns, imaginary ones, that they keep firing at. And the one who could stop them from doing some of that firing isn't there anymore. Um, uh, wouldn't it have been smart to not have put him up a second time? Um, uh, and again, he would know, the prime minister's office would know he's not supposed to say those sorts of things. Why would they Why would they put themselves in that position? I guess you've already answered that question. Well, yeah, no, 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 and it's a fair question. No, I have sort of answered it, but look, I'm not the only person to have said this. Others have said it, too which is very just simply, Scott, that they have handled the whole NSC-Lavalin controversy poorly. 
from start to finish. And I don't know when finish will be, but start was the first day it came out, finishes whenever the heck it ends. And aside from the fact that the Justice Committee has decided that Canadians can make their own conclusion in terms of what happened here, and we don't need to call any further witnesses such as Jody Wilson-Raybould, that's fine. They can change the channel. They claim they're going to now talk about the issue of hate crime, and that's going to be their big focus, which may or may not be allowed, you know, that the public may be allowed to view. That's being debated right now. But the NSC Loveland controversy doesn't just go away because four people, including Mr. Wernick and Mr. Butts, are gone. It doesn't disappear because they feel that Canadians will just reach a conclusion or that it's just water under the bridge and everyone will forget it. It's really up to the opposition parties now, that being Andrew Scheer and the Tories, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP, Elizabeth May and the Greens, etc., to keep the pressure on the Liberal government to ensure that Canadians continue to realize that this controversy hasn't gone away just because they're sweeping it under a rug doesn't mean it disappears, and that this is the government who, for several years now, since the 2015 federal election, we've had in charge of running our politics, our economics, and our culture. And if you've been troubled by a lot of the things, or even some of the things that they've done, this controversy, when put on top of it, is really the proverbial uh, cherry on top of the sundae, so to speak. He really doesn't, it really appears that he does not have a handle on this stuff. It feels like he's over-promising, he's under-delivering, it's all about the brand, but when the rubber hits the road, there's nothing there. Right. Exactly, and that is a big problem. Now, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been called many things by many people, including me, anywhere from just unaware to vapid. You can, you know, it runs the whole gap. Sure. Pick, you know, pick a phrase, add yeah. it to him, and generally speaking, it'll stick. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. He really just doesn't look like a leader who is in control. And I think that's one of his biggest weaknesses, quite frankly, Scott, and I'm sure you've talked about it not just with me, but many of the guests on your program, as many others have done the same thing. You know, whether you like Justin Trudeau or not, whether you think he's been a good leader or not, I think most people would recognize that he is not this powerful force that other prime ministers in the past had been, which includes, you know, I'm not going to go through a whole laundry yeah, list, yeah. but it also includes my old friend and boss, Stephen Harper, I think most people would agree was a strong leader. Jean Chrétien, to be fair, a liberal, was a strong leader. Paul Martin, even though he didn't last for a long period of time, mm-hmm. certainly had the confidence of his party and his government for the 19 months he was prime minister. Brian Mulroney, there have been others. And these, those are people who we see have strong characteristics as a leader. It doesn't mean that they're overpowering or screaming or yelling at people who are subservient to them or trying to make basically the junior people feel inferior to the senior people. They're just in control of the situation. And quite frankly, Justin Trudeau has never been in control of the situation, period, end of statement. How do you think Jody Wilson-Raybould will react to this committee moving on and, and shutting the doors to this, uh, to this issue? Uh, what now for her? When does she speak? Does she? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the biggest wild card that's still left. And I figured we'd talk about it. Jody Wilson-Raybould has controlled, up until very recently, the narrative of NSC Loveland, which means that she started the issue, she, she basically gave the most compelling testimony, and when we talk about this controversy, it always obviously comes back to her. 
And whether you feel that that's the way she did it or she's being honest or she's playing people, it doesn't make a difference. That's how the, the circle is square, don't speak. It comes back to her. Now that the Justice Committee has said we're done, we're not reopening anything, we're not inviting anybody else, testimonies are finished, bye-bye, folks, we have other things to do, mm-hmm. it now leaves it up to Jody Wilson-Raybel to decide her fate from here in. I think, or I would advise, if, if she wanted to, if she feels that there is more to discuss about this issue, and we certainly would gather from her initial testimony that she was willing to come back and claim there was more, except that Justin Trudeau's gag order against her in in the area of cabinet or caucus confidentiality, whichever you wish to say, prevents her from discussing certain private conversations she held with the Prime Minister, possibly more with Mr. Butts, Mr. Wernick, or others in the Liberal Party, I think it's now time for her to sit down with her legal advisors or legal team and decide that if there is just going to be nothing further discussed by this Liberal government, if the five members, Liberal MPs who composed the Justice Committee, have said enough's enough, we're not going to discuss it any longer, maybe it's now up to her to decide how far she can go in terms of discussing this issue. Maybe she can't do specifics. Maybe she can't say at such and such a date, at such and such a time, such and such was said. But again, I said this to you quite a few months ago. Well, it feels like now, or let's just say a few weeks ago. There are still ways to talk about this issue without directly talking about it. You can yeah. still speak around it. There, you know, there's not this hidden perimeter where you can't touch it. So is this a divisive issue now within the, the Liberal Party? Uh, if what she wants is the truth to come out, and mm-hmm. she's, she's already committed herself to, you know, to being a Liberal and her, her constituents and stuff, how, right. how, does she, how does she balance getting the truth out without damaging her party in the next election? Well, I don't think there is any way around it. She has damaged her party. I mean, opinion polls are not the be-all and end-all of the, of the world. As but if know. she talks more, won't that mean more damage? Well, she's, all, she's talked a fair bit already, and it's obviously caused damage. Um, yes, I mean, potentially you're right. If she speaks more, it would cause more damage. On the other hand, maybe she feels that the party she's a part of, which clearly she still believes in. She, she wants to run as a liberal again from all yep. intents. And purposes, and as of right now, she still is the, the candidate of record for Vancouver Granville, her riding. So the federal liberals haven't booted her out as of yet. Um, I mean, for her, the whole key here is that, yes, it obviously hurts her party, but it doesn't necessarily hurt her as a candidate or as a potential liberal figure as time goes along. I mean, just because she's out of cabinet now, <clears throat> pardon me, and out of favor with this prime minister, that being Justin Trudeau, doesn't mean that she can't hold on to her riding, continue on as a liberal MP, and maybe eventually make her way back into something uh, of some sort, be it a cabinet post or more, if the liberal government or the liberal party eventually dumps Mr. Trudeau as leader or he steps down for whatever reason. But again, I mean, we're, I'm moving many steps ahead of myself. As of right now, every time she speaks, it does hurt her party. That's why the Liberals on the Justice Committee yeah. wanted to shut it down. Yeah. Yes, they were probably told by the Prime Minister's office or the Prime Minister directly to do it, but they know that it hurts their brand, it hurts their government, it hurts their party, and most importantly, it hurts their re-election bids. And that's 
to them on a personal level probably matters more than anything Jody Wilson-Raybould says. So they'd rather just have her clam up, call an end to this investigation, move on, and realize that, yeah, the, the, the clouds of controversy are going to follow them for the rest of the time up until the October federal election. But at the same time, the less that it's out in the open and the less things like a justice committee hear her or hear other witnesses testify one way or the other, the better it off it is for them in a few months' time. When does the focus shift off of her and on to the new attorney general, David Lamenti, and what he will do in regard to this file? Will he honor what Jody Wilson-Raybould has done and and refuse this moving forward, or will right. he do what the prime minister wants? Good question. I mean, obviously, David Lametti, who is the new attorney general and justice minister, was brought into this post because, and again, we have to assume this is the case, but one has to assume that he's doing it because he is more willing to do Justin Trudeau's bidding or the prime minister's office's bidding than she was. For that reason, my guess is that he will just sort of follow. I'm not saying he's obviously a yes man and not going to have his own thoughts and ideas, but he will sort of march in lockstep with the liberal government, that being his government, to ensure that certain issues move forward. Now, in terms of NSC Lovelin, you would think if you were doing this realistically or you were just, you put yourself in his shoes, the best course of action is no action at all. I wouldn't even want to go near this issue yeah. in terms of ensuring, you know, make, you know, that we would want to create some distance between NSC Lavalin and this liberal government to ensure it doesn't look like one is in the back pocket of the other. It doesn't even matter which way it is. It just looks bad every time the liberals are attached to this name. So the best course of action would be is that the liberals do not, you know, continue this this course of action. David Lametti obviously has to manage this file and manage this controversy, but not to do anything that would create more suspicion from Canadians who will be going to vote soon and basically open up the Pandora's box once again, where then, yes, there is no way from the Liberals to walk away from this controversy. So what Lametti does is beyond me. I mean, we'll obviously see as time goes along. You would think, though, that the best course of action for the Liberals is to just stay as far away as possible from this controversy, other than what Jody Wilson-Raybould has discussed to date. Uh, budget coming down after 4 o'clock. Will, we, when, uh, will this distract from the Jody Wilson-Raybould issue? Well, I think it's fair to say they hope it will, that being the Liberal government. Yeah. Whether it will or not, that's a good question. I mean, naturally, this is the sort of federal budget which is just called spend, spend, spend. I mean, this is the, this is the liberal specialty. They've been doing this for decades with brilliance, and they're going to continue to, which means that they're just going to introduce a whole bunch of programs or goodies, if you'd like, for the voters to try to entice them to stay on side. We're hearing things such as uh, universal pharmacare is being discussed, affordable housing for millennials, which... I don't know about you, I, uh, Scott, I find kind of fascinating because millennials don't like material possessions. So I don't <laughs> even know why making houses affordable for people who prefer to rent their apartments, rent their cars, and just not own much of anything. I don't know how you suddenly change you know, the mentality of a young group of people. But anyways, they're going to look at that. There's going to be some issues from seniors, from what I understand. But it's going to be an enormous amount of money given out to a lot of different groups. And they're hoping that it will basically move all this discussion away from NSC Lovelin. But it can't. 
It's not possible. You know, NSC Loveland has now taken up the mindset of most potential Canadian voters. That's what they're interested in. And it doesn't matter how much the Liberal government is willing to put on the table and offer to these groups. Sure, it'll entice some. It may even placate others where they just go to the point that, well, I'm not happy with Andrew Scheer, I'm not happy with Jagmeet Singh, etc. Mm. I'm just going to stick with the devil I know. But I think the majority of Canadians, and we've now heard it, and I'm sure some of your listeners have called in, even longtime Liberal supporters are having huge doubts about this Prime Minister and this government. So I don't think anything that they offer today is going to necessarily change the channel. But are they hoping it will? Absolutely. When will we hear from Jody Wilson-Raybould? Well, I'm not her advisor, so I don't know. If, if it were you, me, and everyone listening, I'd do this quickly. I really would. I know that there's a risk involved, and as we talked about, every time she talks, it hurts her government. But if she really wants to clear the air and clear her record and ensure that people truly understand what happened between her and the Prime Minister's office and the Prime Minister and others, then she's got to speak out. And she's, got to, she's got to speak her truth, to, to use her, her typical line. We're just assuming we're gonna find out. We're just assuming that she will. What if she doesn't? What if she says, No, that's it, I'm out. Doesn't say another word about it. Well, that's her call. Uh, but and then you, you sort of wonder, well then what have we been discussing this for for yeah. If she's just gonna end it like that and say that, well look, I've said as much as I possibly can say, the Prime Minister will not release the gag order, there's no further I can go. My legal team has advised me not to get involved. So we'll just leave it at that. She could. And she may, but it, it's just not the wisest strategy. Because, look, she she started this whole yeah, yeah. controversy because she wants people to know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she felt pressure on multiple occasions to get involved in the criminal proceeding with a company that already has a pretty bad public record to begin with, that being NSC Loveland. For that reason, you would think that she would want to speak as much and as quickly as possible to ensure that it stays in the public discussion or the public realm and people want to keep talking about it. But again, all of this is up to her. I'm not advising her. You're not advising her. No one is advising her that we know of. But those that are, I think they know what they have to do. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, uh, despite it supposedly coming to an end, it really just seems like it's the beginning. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's talk uh, with Alyssa Freeman uh, about everything that's uh, been going along in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, Holy smokes, it's been tough to keep up. Uh, Shutting down, a liberal shut down the SNC-Lavalin probe. Uh, Scheer has threatened, Andrew Scheer has threatened to use emergency actions. This, of course, after it was pushed off to budget day uh, from last week. And now we find out that Jody Wilson-Raybould will not. Uh, be testifying at the committee. They've decided to to roll up, uh, fold up the chairs, and move on to something else. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. She's with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. As always, Scott. Thanks for having me. How did the birthday go? Oh, it's ongoing, Scott. It goes to the end of the month. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> birthday month. I love that. See, I only did that on my fiftieth. No, actually, I think my fiftieth. It went for the whole year. 
Well, there you go. Yeah, uh, that takes care of everything. It certainly does for a while. All right. Um, before we get to what's happening in Canadian politics and such, um, something that just came across our uh, uh, our news feed that that I want to ta- uh, chat with you about. Uh, this is in regard to uh, the New Zealand uh, mosque shooting and and the horrific uh, story which we all know and what happened there. But now there's reports coming out, and and this was sort of another angle to all of. <sighs> You know, we all of what we were talking about in regard to the shooting, but the fact that this was also carried live on social media while it was going down. 17 minutes of this massacre uh, went live uh, on Facebook as it went down. We're now finding out that approximately 200 people watched the mosque shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand, live on Facebook. None of them reported it. Apparently, it went 29 minutes before... Uh, the first user reported the initial incident. What's your take on that? Now, oh. be- before we get to that, let me just, and, and, you know, Luke and I were talking about this, my producer. You know, this would have aired on or been viewed on, uh, you know, this extremist website. So I'm guessing a lot of those people were watching as opposed to the average person. But what are your thoughts? You know, this is the most disturbing thing of all. I was wondering what my reaction would have been because some people were just, you know, scrolling on Twitter and, you know, they came across something and they're thinking, well, gee, what is this? Is this a, is this a reenactment and, and what's going on here? And they're very confused and they realized what it was. And I have to say that if that was me, and I mean, if I was certainly living in New Zealand or in Christchurch, the first thing I would do is, you know, stop being a voyeur and, drop the phone and call the police or call mm-hmm. emergency services. You know, the fact that we now live in a culture where people are more interested in seeing how something plays out, thinking that somebody else is going to take care of, of calling the cops, is is really a sad commentary. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, is that there's certainly not the algorithms in place that can shut these things down immediately because, you know, it's all about live streaming. It's all about being spontaneous. It's all about organic content. And as we know, that whole philosophy can be used both for good and for evil. I remember talking about this probably 10 years ago, maybe more, when uh, there were situations where there would be some sort of tragedy or accident, and rather than helping, people would be taking pictures of the situation. You know, I see that all the time. And, then, and you know, it's interesting. Whenever these things happen, sometimes the first thing that you hear the police ask for is, is, is that if anybody has Surveillance. driver cam footage yeah. or they have their own footage. So people um, automatically and quickly jump into the role of citizen journalists because they have this device ready-made already in their hands that is, that is ready to record uh, a live event, whether to record it or to broadcast it live at that moment. And I think that people sort of need to take a step back and think, okay, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this so I can show my friends that I was here and look at the footage I, I took? But really, the first question in anybody's mind who was looking at such footage is, is there help on the way? Yeah. Uh, you, you talked about citizen journalism first. Does that, d- d- does, uh, is our initial reaction now to be a citizen journalist first or to try to help someone? I think in, if you look at this case that we're discussing right now, I think it's all about being a citizen journalist, about being able yeah. to get that footage and sending it off to your local media outlet. 
and maybe even getting credit on it. It's a very, very odd way of, you know, gaining one's 15 minutes of fame, which is truly at the expense of others. It's really a sad commentary on society. But, you know, this is something that the Internet has taught us but it didn't teach us really the morals that go along with it. Well, it's interesting because, you know, if you are witnessing a crime in progress, it's always great to have a video image of that. Uh, That being said, at what point do you stop that and say, am I doing everything I can to help? Because in some ways, some may say, you know, I'm helping here by getting a description of what's happening. You know, it's almost like we need a set of rules. I mean, you hope that people will organically come up with that thought process on their own. But it, it seems that, and I'm sure that there are some people who do. There's some people who do, you know, phone the authorities in order to intervene. But I also think there are people who think, well, I better get this captured and hopefully somebody else is taking care of the rest. It's almost like we need a set of rules that says, okay, before you decide to start filming, make sure that help is on the way. And it sounds really prescriptive, Scott, but think about the ways that, you know, we learn how to recycle, for heaven's sakes, that mm. we still learn. You go walk into a garbage can, it's a bad analogy, but you walk into a garbage can and it says, litter, waste, whatever, recycles. And it's almost like we have to say, call for help, then continue filming. Yeah. But, you know, isn't your natural reaction if you see someone in distress to do something or just stand there and look at them? I think if you use another example, so for example, if you remember the terror on Young Street in Toronto when the van went careening down the street and hitting Mm -hmm. people, um, you know, really it was all the CCTV cameras that um, caught that footage. And in that case, people sprung into action. And maybe because it was a fleeting moment and it happened so quickly and people were in distress and they were lying, dying in the streets. So there's a great example of people, you know, not first responders, but people who wanted to rush to someone else's aid who was clearly in distress and help them immediately and obviously get somebody to call for help at the same time. So I think that in that type of case, I think that, you know, there was obviously a different reaction. But by the same token, the the driver was not wearing a GoPro right. and not filming it live. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with people saying, gee, what's going on here? Because, you know, I think you also have to give some sort of, you know, give some sort of credit to the human condition that when you look at something, sometimes you need to develop the context in which you're looking yeah, at it. Yeah, and I could see a lot of, online. yeah, and I could see a lot of that. The people would just be so, so shocked. They're not believing what they're actually seeing. I agree with that. And there are some people who think, gee, is this like a video game, which is also a whole other issue. But, you know, is this a video game? And Mm -hmm. and where is this happening? And why am I so disturbed? And, you know, the other thing, too, is, is that you don't necessarily know where the incident is taking place because, you know, the Internet is a vehicle without borders. So there's that issue that you have to take into account, too. Do you think we're going to see more of this? Why wouldn't we? I mean, especially if it's someone who's looking to publicize, uh, you know, an, an event. And, and what's Facebook's responsibility here? Well, they, they do have a responsibility. Facebook has a responsibility. Twitter, and along with Facebook, Instagram, you know, they all have to look at these things because they, these are algorithms that have yet to be brought under control. So, you know, while you can look at somebody's history and see a history of hate and then bring down the account, or if you see a questionable picture while it's been up, and it could be an hour, it could be a day before it's caught, um, they do have an algorithm which uh, basically notifies the user and says that we're just going to shut it down, which, which they have done, and uh, I think that they're getting better at. 
But this is a whole other, you know, ball of wax. This is something that they, I don't think they know how to fix yet, Scott. And all I can hope is, is that they are now sitting in their meeting rooms and they're bringing together their brain trust and they're figuring out, okay, this is yet another layer of responsibility that we have for a platform where we just want people to share happy, smiling faces. All right, let's talk about politics. Uh, at least no one dies there. Um, uh, what, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, what is your take on what has happened in the last 48 hours? I mean, we'll even go back further than that in, in, into uh, uh, the, the Justice Committee saying that, uh, uh, you know what, we're not going to deal with the Jody Wilson-Raybould situation. This was last week. We're going to bump it off until the day of the budget. Then when the day of the budget's going to drop uh, today, of course, uh, they announced, nope, we're shutting her down, folding up the chairs. Uh, she will not be back. Uh, and we've decided to move on to other things. And, you know, the day before yesterday, the clerk of the Privy Council resigns uh, in all of this. I mean, for something they're trying to kill, my goodness, they just keep stoking the fire here. Well, you know, here's the thing. I think that all of this has been planned out. I don't think that this is just happening. So, for example, you know, Michael Warnick just didn't happen to resign last night. I think that there's been a schedule for all of this. And you have to think about the way that headlines and, and the newspaper cycle works. So, you know, when Jody Wilson-Raybould, when she first testified, I mean, the news cycle was hot, hot, hot for at least 72 hours plus, we, she was on the front pages, and there was all sorts of back and forth about that. And then, of course, you had Gerald Butts, and then the news cycle ramps up again, and then it goes back down. So, you know, after, um, and then you had the Prime Minister himself do a press conference where I think a lot of us hoped that he would apologize, but there was no such apology. And he handled the questions in, in a way that, uh, you know, one practices with a media trainer or a communications crisis counselor. So there's that. And then it went up again and it went down. So what the Liberals are trying to do, Scott, is that they're trying to manage the news cycle. I know that's exactly what... a constant burn. I know exactly. And you know what? If I was them, I guess I'd be trying to shut this thing down too. But when you you plug one hole, if you don't reduce the pressure, another one pops out somewhere else. So again, how is Jody Wilson-Raybould going to act, react to this? Uh, does that just not extend the news cycle? Well, I don't think there's much more for her to say unless she breaks ranks and decides to do a tell-all. I mean, I, I don't know what her further recourse is other than the four hours of testimony that she already gave. But she still has to respond back to the period after she was fired as Attorney General to the actual time that she resigned. Uh, The other two were allowed to speak about those times. She wasn't. Uh, They're obviously biased. Isn't that a good enough reason to bring her back? Again, from a crisis management standpoint from the Liberal Party, no, you want to throw as much water on this as you possibly can. But again, the problem still hasn't been resolved and don't they have to do this? to move on i think the liberals think that they don't have to do this to move on and i think that you know by having michael wernick you know the most powerful civil servant in the land step down you know he's the sacrificial lamb and i think that he always knew he would be the sacrificial i thought gerald butts was well i think gerald butts thought that he might be the first salvo in order to try and head off the pass here and when they found out that that wasn't completely working, that there had to be some other reparations that had to be demonstrated by the Liberal government, that they indeed were taking this whole uh, issue seriously, they thought, well, you know what, we 
you know, the prime minister did say that he needed to have better communication between himself and his caucus. And part of that might be the job of the clerk of the Privy Council. So therefore, if, you know, Gerald Butts, who is perhaps not so well known outside of political circles or political onlookers, but people do have a sense of the clerk of the Privy Council and that they know and it's been said over and over again in the media of his powerful position. So when you sort of let that head roll, you're hoping that it stems um, some of the tide of inquiry. Uh, that being said, this guy, the, the, the Michael Wernick, the clerk of the Privy Council, was so aggressive and so biased during this Um you know, you have to wonder if this is what he's like in front of a public committee when the cameras are rolling, what the heck's he like behind closed doors when he's trying to influence someone? So I don't think this does any favors for anyone. I don't think this moves the needle at all. Well, I think the, the well, you see, you'd like to see the needle moved and the liberals would like to see the needle stop down. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they keep pushing out deadlines and saying, well, you know, we'll let Jody Wilson-Weirbold respond today. Oh, no, we have the budget today. What happens if she speaks next week and says, you know what, here's what happened? I mean, they're back into this again. Well, I wonder, and I wonder if she will speak, and I think that there's a lot of backrooming going on that will has basically been said to her. But she started all of this, and she started all of this and got all of our attention, said, hey, look over here, we're all looking, and now she's saying nothing to see. I don't think Canadians are going to buy that. You know, I think that everybody sort of has their the line in the sand that they want to draw that they'll go up to, but not necessarily cross. Right. Because, you know, uh, while Jane Philpott also um, left the caucus, neither of them are leaving the Liberal Party. Which, so, and that begs the bigger question, what does Jody Wilson-Raybould do next? I mean, obviously what she's looking for here is the truth to come out. So how does she balance that considering the truth could damage her party in the next election. Is she looking for the truth? Could I don't I know. Devil's advocate? What else? Well, what else would you be doing this for? I think she also has to look at her own political ambitions too. And I'm not the first person to mention that. Listen, she put on a fabulous performance while she was testifying. Yep. She was cool as a cucumber. She was very, very articulate. She seemed, you know, she completely understood the nuances of every single question, and it was a very stateswoman-like or yep. statesperson's like. Um, a performance, you know, just as the, you know, Lisa Raid on the other side of the opposition, she was all ready for prime time. They were both ready. So I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I am saying that as a, as a jaded onlooker of all of this mm-hmm. and people positioning themselves for the next step. And, her, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould's father herself said, well, you know, I mean, potentially the next step is that she should be prime minister. Yeah. And, and maybe she has designs on that, but you know what, Scott? You can't bring down the party you eventually want to lead. That's true. Although, let's be, you know, there's three major categories that Justin Trudeau needs to win an election. That's Quebec, that's the Indigenous community, and the female gender. Uh, those first two boxes, he's, he, you know, he, big X there because those people are ticked off. So why does he just not talk to her, do everything she wants, fall on the sword, give us some crocodile tears, that'll check off the female gender box again. And off we go. I think that that ship has sailed. Yeah, I think too late for that. That would have been last week. Yeah. So what? You have to be goaded into talking about this. You know, uh, yeah, the news cycle sort of ramps up and down. You know, with this, and and it sort of had ramped down a little bit 
after the press conference and then it starts to move on to something else. And, and you know, I hate to say this, but you're as when you're under fire and in the media spotlight, you're always looking for something, anything, yeah. anything, Scott, to push mm-hmm. you off the front page. Yeah. Even if it's like a horrific attack somewhere in another country, yeah. you know, you're thinking, oh, that's horrible. That's, it's, it's beyond uh, terrible, but by the same token is, you know what, I hope we're on page five today. Will we hear from Jody Wilson-Raybould, do you think, on this? I don't know. I, I hate to speculate, and I've speculated by this, about this before, and I've been completely wrong. So I, I, I don't even want to hazard a guess. Uh, will the budget distract Canadians from this? It better be a darn good budget. <laughs> All right, Alyssa Freeman, uh, anything else you want to throw out here? I no, think I'm out no. of juice here. I'm kicking in every pot. I'm exhausted here. Uh, and we, you know, we're north of the border. We haven't even gone south of the border in, in I don't know how many weeks now. I know, but isn't that great? It's all about us. There you go. Uh, Alyssa Freeman's been with us, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. As always, Alyssa, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.